You listen to 247 Real Talk. Well, this is your host, Julian Perry. And I'll be right back with the third installment in this segment I call In the News. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode in 247 Real Talk podcast. I thank you for joining me. This is uh, an unplanned episode, uh, episode three in the segment in the news. I actually had a guest uh, scheduled and, you know, schedules are really tight because I record once a week and tonight's guest was a no-show. So I decided to make sure that I kept up the cadence for my supporters and my listeners. And I decided to do a quick episode on um, episode three of In the News. So it won't be long, but In the News is always easy to, you know, to talk about. And tonight I'm going to talk about voter rights. I'm going to talk about the COVID vaccine mandates or not. And I'll probably finish up with my uh, continued uh, passion and uh, 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 sort of um, imploring action on student loans. So here we go. So let's let's, let's start with voters' rights because I think it was a. I'm reading here. I think it possibly was a day ago. Um, when was this uh, that the Democrats introduced? It was actually not a day ago. It was uh, September 14th. Uh, so it was a day ago. They introduced uh, a new voting rights bill. And I didn't get a, real, a chance to really you know, delve into the details of the bill. But, you know, in, in, in my effort to sort of have transparency in, in our world and as, to as much as we can and to deal with um, these, you know, these idiotic issues, and I say idiotic not referring to voter rights, but referring to the fact that we, have, we actually have to have this conversation. You know, it's amazing to see that after the last election, how many people, how many politicians on the losing side, and I, you know, and, and I, and I want to be careful when I say losing side, I'm saying losing just in terms of basically the absolute value of who won and who lost. But how many politicians set out to to reform voter rights in their states with the ultimate goal of disqualifying many of the voters who helped the current president win. This is not about whether you're Democrat, Republican, in terms of you know, which candidate you supported, but the fact that our politics is as such that people actually feel that they are justified in doing so in some sort of loyalty to their to their party or whatever, and, and actually enacting laws in states that take away a fundamental right is ridiculous. You know, we have to think about voting in the United States of America because the system is already not just flawed, it's, it's, it should be abolished. This whole electoral college and all these things about, you know, someone can win the popular vote but not win the, you know, the presidency, it, it doesn't make any sense. 
you know, it's it's in all the things that we have in life that are so complicated, this one should be simple to me. Popular vote wins. That means you count every vote, forget about electoral college, forget about the states and representatives and all, popular vote wins the presidency because it makes no sense. I mean, if you think back about the elections before, I think it was uh, Bush, Gore, and then um, there was uh, Trump, uh, Clinton, um you know, you think about the fact that one person has, you know, you have has X amount of hundred thousand votes or X amount of million votes than the other, yet the one with the lesser votes wins because we have this system that we call electoral college that, you know, that some people want to put a, you know, put a, a a bandaid on or a mask on and call it some effort for equality is garbage. Okay, this is this is sort of a a rigged system of you know we can't win because we live in a society let's break it down we live in a society that's likely or live in a country that's likely more they're more democrat voters than republican and so the issue is i think you know they're trying to sort of even the 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 score because just using those that that statistic alone of, of one outweighing the other means that they would never win but I wonder if everyone is stopped to think that maybe if candidates ran on their records and their records were true and their records were, were, were self-explanatory and their, their ideology were not in keeping with a party but what's best for the people that they're going to govern, then maybe they could win the f- popular vote irrespective of party. You know, we, 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 we always have this holier-than-thou attitude that we tell the rest of the world what they're doing wrong. We go to countries around the world, we talk about democracy, and, you know, and, and democracy is such a fallacy, it's, it's unbelievable, because people believe that you live, you know, we, when you say you live in a democracy, you're free. And, and I hate to break it to those who, have, who really believe in that, but we're not free. We, are in, we may be in a society that's that, that's freer than other societies, but we're still controlling what we do and how we do it and where we go and how, what we can say. We're still controlled. There's no such thing as, as true freedom, true democracy. It doesn't exist. And I'm not saying that that's a, you know, I haven't really sat down to really delve into whether that's a good or bad thing because I do think there need to be controls and boundaries to a certain extent for certain specific things. Certainly not for race and equality and those types of things. But again, if a candidate is amazing, if a candidate is, has a record of going into government and doing a, amazing things irrespective of party, if a, if a candidate shows themselves to be sort of down the middle, if a candidate has actually stood up against their own, the, the party they're affiliated with when they have felt that it's, that, that the action was wrong. If a, if a candidate has actually maybe lost a couple of elections in the past because they stood on virtue and what was right and then they're running for president, then you know, that candidate gets votes from both parties and gets the most popular vote that candidate should win. Because when something like that happens, then we, the people, we who are suffering, we who are struggling, we who are in the dark to a certain extent. We, we who are less privileged than men, I might say less privileged, less privileged 
I'm not just speaking only in the monetary sense, but, you know, in terms of information and, and access and, you know, to healthcare and to education and, and to the better jobs and everything else. We who are st- fighting the fight daily where we put certain people in power and they turn their backs on us right after their acceptance speech. We are the people who would win because then we would know that we can hold people accountable that our vote counted that no one is afraid of us voting when you have to pass laws to suppress votes or or, or with some nonsensical story about why you thought the person's vote was illegal look a person who is a citizen of the united states either born or naturalized who has identification which they should from birth or we should have systems in place to make sure people have identification should be able to vote the only, I mean, the only criteria that should disqualify them is one that we use universally across the United States, and that's if, if you're a convicted felon. Outside of that, you should be able to vote, period, end of discussion. You know, I, I, you know and, and you know, it, it, it just seems like such, a, such a, a, a horse and pony show when we have elections and, and you know, this get out the vote and people are going, you know, all into these neighborhoods and trying to get people to come out to vote. And and part of it is on the voters, too, because we will, you know, if, if we had to, if you're a drinker and you had to get up at a certain hour because you wanted another beer and you find yourself out at one o'clock in the morning at the bodega, but you won't go to will make an effort to go vote. That's a problem. If you ever go out late at night and you see the people who come into the bodegas and they buy a pack of cigarettes because they're a smoker, they, got, they have on short pants and house slippers in, in, in 20 degree weather, but they needed that smoke. But they won't make an effort or make an excuse to not get to the polls to vote. That's an issue. As a matter of fact, you know, for presidency election, we have so many foolish holidays in this country, I think, or a couple of them at least. Maybe that day warrants a holiday. Maybe, and I've seen other countries do it, where election day is a holiday. I think I've seen, if I remember correctly, a few countries in South America and the Caribbean that do it. So if election day is a holiday, that our only essential workers are, are going to work, and you make allowances for essential workers to vote either by creating polling stations at their headquarters where they work, whatever. And then we put forward an effort of getting people who do not have transportation. We do a poll. We find out who does not have transportation. And then we also make polling stations accessible. People in wheelchairs, you know, make accessible not only wheelchairs, but put polling stations, put you know, mini polling stations in neighborhoods where you have more impoverished people where they're, where you know it, it, it will cost them too much money to get to the main polling station. You'll create a system that allows people the right to vote. If you want true democracy, if you want to go to the rest of the world and say, look at us, we're the model, then we have some serious housekeeping to do. But the fact that you're going to suppress votes so that you can win the election and then you're going to go in there and you simply, you don't govern for the people who put you in there even. The, the, the people who were brainwashed or poor or whatever that you, that you drag to the vote, to, to, the, to the polls to win. And then, you know, you turn your backs on, which is most of us, you know, we have to have, we have to be able to even the score. 
The problem with this, obviously, is all that spiel I just said, you know, kind of falls on deaf ears because, you know, the, those kinds of changes require our, our, you know, our, our lawmakers, our, our, our elected officials to make the changes, and they're too busy playing the game. They're too busy playing the game of politics. They're too busy. I mean, have you guys ever looked at some of these bills that pass? I, I, I challenge every person who listens to this episode, who listens to this podcast, you know, or, 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 or even hears my voice through whatever medium. I challenge you to go find a simple bill and take a good look at it. Because whenever you have a bill that, that needs to pass and it has some, called, some sort of resistance from the opposite side, there's always a deal made. You know, I remember years ago there was this whole, um, I think there was a gun law bill or something, if I remember correctly. That, um, and I think it was sponsored by one Democrat and one Republican. The thing is that it, it, it didn't pass because this, you know, the bill that had to do with firearms, and I don't remember what it is, so, you know, Please, and you know anybody on either side of the aisle, it's not about what it was about. The point I'm making is, when it when it when it was presented, it didn't pass because in order for one person on one party to get the other person the other party to agree, they had to add all this crap into the bill. So a guy in Iowa says, "Hey, you know what? I need X amount of money for corn, so I need you to attach that to the bill." And another guy says, hey, I, I, need another, I need something for, you know, whatever, sugar cane. I don't care what it is. I'm just making this up, you know, add it to the bill. So the bill that had one point, one focus, when it ends up being presented, is bloated with all these deals attached to it, and it can never pass because obviously when people attach these deals to it, they're attaching it because they couldn't get them to pass on their own, and then you have all this objection from both sides, and that's the end of it. This is not about us, the people who elected them. And I'm going to keep saying this on this podcast. I'm keep saying this on this podcast till people start getting it, till, till, till you know, we get to a point where we have a movement. We get to a point where politicians start taking us, the voters, seriously. We get to a point where they begin to realize that their jobs and their futures and their ability to be reelected is no longer about them and their fancy cars and their great health insurance and their, 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 their rich parties and, and the company they keep. But it's about exactly what they swore to, and that is for the people, elected for the people, by the people. We, we, we deserve better. Every day we listen to politics and we hear some, I mean, we've heard some of the most absurd things come from our politicians. And, and you know, if, even when we talk about, and I'm going to sort of segue now, I guess, into COVID and the vaccine and mandates, you know, I'm refer back to an episode I did again with uh, the 2018 New York State Libertarian gubernatorial candidate, Larry Sharp, when he said to me, you know, Mandates are wrong. And at first I was going to, you know, kind of jump at him. And then I realized that, think about it for a second. What is he saying? He was talking about human nature. He was talking about the fact that, you know, if you say to someone, can you please do something, then they're more inclined to do it than if you say you're going to do it. That you are going to immediately puts up a wall 
that might have been non-existent prior to. But, 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 I think we are in a precarious position when it comes to COVID. And I think that there's so much politics being played here that I fear that so many more lies. Look, I don't know about you guys listening to me, but I'm tired of attending Zoom funerals. I've lost count of how many Zoom funerals I've attended. I lost so many, or quite a few coworkers. And I'm going to say this because what's bothering me about it tonight is that we, are, we have been forced back to work. And this afternoon about, I don't know, it must have been about 3.30, I get a call from a coworker of mine at a location where I used to work a few years ago. And he said, oh, you remember this person? She was, what, 50, 51 years old? She died of COVID, otherwise healthy. I remember speaking to my, my primary care physician. He's, he was telling me, you know, he had men, young strapping men, 40-something years old, come into his office and give him a clean bill of health, and three days later they died of COVID. This was in the beginning. The point I'm making, though, is that the person I'm talking about who was 51 years old, I believe she died today or yesterday. And I'm making this point because I don't know whether, I, I didn't get all the details yet, so I don't know whether she returned to work or she was working because uh, in, in hybrid mode for a while, but like, you know, where did she get it? Who did she expose? We're all being forced back into these workplaces, not because it makes common sense, not because the, the politicians care whether Julian or Tom or Donald or Peter or Harry live or die. We're just pawns in this game. The only people that feel this is our relatives, our children, our parents, our siblings. When they lose us, the politicians don't care. I hate to tell you, they don't care. They care about pleasing the private sector. They care about pleasing the money people. They care about the fact that when you're remote working and, and, and there are a lot of businesses, et cetera, that are suffering um, in the neighborhoods that you used to populate when you went back and forth to work, when you traveled back and forth to work. On my last episode of, um, in the news, I kind of said, you know, well, maybe if more people are teleworking, maybe the businesses need to think outside the box too. Maybe the government needs to give them some tax breaks and incentives or whatever, and, you know, maybe some seed money, whatever. So maybe, maybe they need to move to the neighborhoods where people now, where the population now is, where, you know, cause if we are working from home, then uh, if I'm traveling to, to a city to work well, and I'm no longer traveling because I'm teleworking, that means that, the volume of us that used to travel to the city, we've just been relocated to where we live. And so maybe, you know, there's, there's still the need. It may be a different need because maybe we don't eat out that often and, you know, maybe we don't um, call, call for delivery that often. But I think eventually as we get back to norm, I think we support our surrounding you know, neighborhoods and I think that there's an opportunity there Again, I don't know the answers. And, and I got news flash for everyone who's listening and saying, well, you know, you know, what's your suggestion? I'm not a politician. I didn't pledge anything to anyone. I didn't solicit anyone's vote. I'm not the one with the answers. But the people who we elect, that's their job. And they're part of their job 
in supporting me as a as a as a as a constituent as 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 a as a human being as a member of society is preservation of life not making deals and having acceptable numbers of casualties i think that People, you know, you got big companies like Microsoft and Google and all these companies have told their employees, sit tight. You're not coming back in this building before January of next year. And there's a few things that I admire about that. And I'm going to try to list them real quick. One is I'm hoping that these private companies who seem to have less need for the politics, at least in, in, in terms of uh, national politics, because they've got their own you know, filthy rich money and they kind of don't have to pander as such. They're making decisions about their bottom line, making more money, and they've recognized that a healthy and happy employee is, is, is part of the key to that, to, to that success. I'm hoping that, and I believe that too, that if they spend enough time listening to their employees to, to make sure they gain that success, they'll find out that employees love the fact that they're working remotely because, of, and not all of them, there are exceptions. There are a lot of people who don't like it. Um, I think there are more people who like it than don't, but there are people who have exceptional cases. And, and I don't want to ignore the people who find work as an escape from a bad home environment or, or you know, whatever the case may be. Albeit that if you're in a bad home environment, escaping to work is not the answer. You've got a bigger problem that you need to deal with. But my point is, for those many people, for the most, for the majority who like the teleworking, um, you have a better quality of life. You're, you're, you're not spending hours commuting. You're able to get up and, and get more done with your day. You're able to see your family more. You need, you're able to be there more for your kids. And you're able to save a little bit more money because you're not spending hundreds of dollars a month traveling. And all that happens is I think eventually that money gets recycled into things like home improvement or whatever, but the money goes back into the economy. It does. Forcing people, you know, I've got anxiety about it. I've talked to so many people who are in the same position. Forcing people back into an environment when you cannot guarantee a darn thing makes no sense. And this goes all the way up, 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 you know, up to scale from local governments to state governments to federal governments. And you know, I'll touch on the federal government in my last part when I when I when I you know, give my short reiteration of the student loan issue. But you have to stop thinking about yourself. You have to find, you know most politicians have X amount of terms, mayors or governors. I'm not sure about governors. Some of them, I think, I'm not sure if there's uh, term limits in all of them, but. I think mayors and, 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 and other politicians have term limits, and, and these people are all thinking about, you know, when it's over, where do I go next? Now, you and I, the average worker, don't have the opportunity to even sometimes find a better job because it's so difficult. But these people are saying, you know, when I come out of office, I need to make, you know, X amount of money, or I need to, you know, or I, or I want a better job, I need a more job with more prestige, you know, to match the fact that I was this, or I was governor, or whatever. And so... They're catering to the private companies that would hire them for these, you know, I don't know how much, I don't know what the salaries would be, but they'd be, they'd be, their salaries would be up there. And they're doing, in doing so, they're making sure that their businesses and all these things that were impacted by the less people traveling in, um, get, get rejuvenated by forcing the people back into that space. 
I think it's a disaster waiting to happen. If you speak to medical personnel, they'll tell you it's a disaster. And the thing about it is, we, we have no choice. And there's several parts to what I'm, what I'm about to say, because one of the things I looked at, and I'll try to bring it up here quickly um, on my phone, um, is COVID-19, <clears throat> I just brought it up, and kids. And this article is from, what date was this? This was September 1st, 2021. At that time, COVID cases were rising. I'm sure the number's much more now. I'm trying to find a more current number. But at that point, there had been 4.8 million cases of COVID in children since April 2020. And the thing about it is we don't have a vaccination for 12 or under. So when I go into my job and I get COVID, I'm vaccinated. And we'll talk about that in a second too. But, you know, when I go, it doesn't mean I still can't be a carrier. And I come home and I, and I hug my child and I hug my children and then they get sick. I don't want to visit my children in the ICU. This is not a normal situation. And, and, and we, we need to stop talking about getting back to norm because there's been nothing normal about the last 18 months. This is a pandemic. Drastic measures call for drastic solutions. <clears throat> These politicians need to stop walking around just enjoying the money in their job and they need to start <clears throat> earning their money by thinking outside of the box. And thinking outside the box means that they, they use the brain cells that we elected them you know, with, assuming that they had, to find new ways, new innovative ways for us to evolve, to do business, to support other businesses, and even the businesses must evolve. If I have a deli and I've been making a lot of money for the last 20 years, there's nothing that guarantees that I could continue to be a deli for the next 20 years and make a ton more money. No, maybe I need to become something else. Whatever it is, change is inevitable. There's a song by Quincy Jones that says, everything must change. Nothing stays the same. That's a reality. Generations change. A hundred years from now, everyone listening to this podcast, including me, will not be here. We will be, we will be but a distant memory. Some of us not even remembered. So let's, let's be real. Let's, we have to make and add value and make the best of this life that we have now. Even tomorrow is not promised for any of us. But there's a big difference between unexpectedly losing life tomorrow because of some other tragedy that, is, that, is, that you cannot see versus something that's right in front of your face and you just feel that you have the right to throw people into the fire so that you won't get burned. And, and, and in saying that, I'm going to segue again, still staying on the same, staying on the same topic and talk about vaccines. I got the COVID vaccine. I had COVID and I did get both doses of the Pfizer vaccine. I understand that every single person has a right to decide what goes into their body they should. I chose to get the vaccine after dealing with, with, with COVID and how debilitating, how horrible, how horrid an illness it was for me. 
I understand that many people don't trust the government. I understand that many people believe that the vaccine was developed too fast. And even though it's, it, 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 that, that what the government is saying something because they don't trust and they don't, they, they're waiting to see, you know, what the side effects would be. And that, that, that has validity to it because a side effect doesn't have to be today, tomorrow. It could be 10 years from now. All of us who are telling people to take the vaccine today or a percentage of us could end up suffering from something that's a result of the vaccine 10 years from now. But that's part of life and the unforeseen. We already take, each child I know that goes into school or whatever already takes a, a, a barrage of, uh, what's it, measles, mumps, rubella, uh, smallpox, a bunch of me- um, vaccines already. So there had to be a point where they decided to take it. My concern is, I think science has shown that the vaccine has been successful, at least to a certain extent. I was reading a story here, and I'll find that as well. This, this, this couple was in Kentucky. I don't want to call their names. Um, they were planning their wedding for two years. The bride is 29 years old, 29 years old. They're planning their wedding for two years. They wanted to start a family as soon as they got married. Friends of hers, the bride, the bride-to-be, told her that the COVID shot, the COVID vaccine, could cause infertility. So she decided since they wanted to have a large family, I think they wanted four or five kids, and she heard that the COVID shot could create an issue with fertility, she would postpone getting the vaccine. 29 years old. And while her family is planning for a wedding, they're now planning for her funeral. She died from COVID. So... There, there, and this is one story, as I said, I just came across that, but there's so many of them. And it is a personal decision, but it's also, you also need to take into account that you have the ability to affect others, to infect others, and affect others. And so that, you know, that becomes a struggle with the, when you want to go into a workplace and other people have to, especially first responders. You know, it's it's a little, it's a little, little harder, a little more, a little more difficult for me to really grasp the the whole issue of many doctors and nurses not wanting to take the the vaccine because the the medical these institutions sort of are the in your face representation of the campaign for getting vaccinated. So, you know, it becomes a bigger struggle when you see medical personnel saying, I don't want the vaccine. I mean, I guess there are just as many medical personnel who've had it, but they're not the ones who are part of the controversy or part of the court cases and all of that. It's the ones who have not had it is saying, hey, I don't want to take this vaccine. I don't want to put it in my body. I don't believe, I don't think it's safe. I don't want, you know, when you say something like that, I think you create a, you create a situation for more people not wanting to take it. And so we're caught in a vicious cycle now. And that 
sort of puts pressure on the politicians who, you know, those especially who actually do want to do good as to what do they do. They either say to you, I mean, it, it, think about how difficult this is from their perspective. And actually speaking about the politicians now who actually want to do something. And there's a few of them out there, I, at least I think to a certain extent. They're faced with a situation now where they're saying, look, I've got to get this economy moving again. People are struggling. People are suffering. People need to work. I've got to keep my hospitals fully staffed because we keep getting COVID cases. I've got to deal with the fact that I'm telling um, people to get vaccinated when medical personnel don't want to get vaccinated. Um, so in their minds, they look, I'm going to, under my powers, I'm going to pass a, a, a mandate that says, hey, or, or I can't say the law because it's not a law, but, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to say, hey, you guys must get vaccinated. And somebody challenges in court and they get paused or they get thrown out or whatever. Now what do you do? Well, I have to say to those politicians who, you know, who mean, mean well, that I think there are a lot of people out there who want to go to work, who like the fact that they're going into a building to work. I think there are just as many or maybe more who prefer to telework. And the beauty about teleworking is, and depending on the nature of your teleworking and, you know, and, and, and what it requires in terms of any face-to-face component of it, you could live anywhere in the world. That means I can have a better quality of life by moving from, you know, a state that I went to to get a job into, into a state that I love doing, love living in and still do my job. So it reshuffles the economies a little bit. It moves the money around a little bit, you know, maybe not to the delight of some politicians, but Maybe you offer a, a voluntary hybrid in the sense that those people who feel they want to go to work and that that's part of their nature, let them go. Let them understand their risks. Let them understand their options of taking vaccinations, whatever, let them go. Those people who feel that they're better protecting their family, have a better way of life, working remotely, let them work remotely, especially since most businesses or many businesses I have read about have shown that their productivity went up. And we already talked about the fact that you get up in the morning in your pajamas, you can go straight to your computer, there's no commute, there's, you're in better frame of mind from not dealing with the, the, the aggravation of commuting and the trains being late and the trains, you're missing the train and traffic and all these things that get you sometimes in the most horrible mood by the time you get to work so that you're the least productive person that day. We need to start thinking about us collectively. My kids go to school every day wearing masks. It's very strange to go to a school and see all these young kids, five, six, seven years old, eight years old, wearing masks. But when you, when you kind of step back and take it into perspective, you realize this is simply part of our current situation. And to a certain extent, maybe it's part of our new norm for a while. You want to beat COVID? Make sensible uh, decisions. Don't force people back into work environments. Because there's another, there's another component to this forcing back into work environment that I don't know if, if the politicians, again, don't even care about. And that is, for the ones who really, like myself, had COVID, the ones who really don't want to 
go back because of not because of why I like staying home, but because of the whole anxiety. And I'm, let me let me explain a little bit about the things I've learned in the last couple of uh, weeks. Many businesses have gone have said, you know, we've hired crews to clean the building. So they vacuum the carpets, they they wipe down the desks and all the things around the desk, the computers and the phones and all that with Lysol. Wonderful. That's not enough. Why? Number one, that's very temporary. Ventilation systems throughout these buildings are intricate and big and installed. There is no human being that's going to be able to always catch every single t- themselves every single time they sneeze or cough. These particles are going to travel through those ventilation systems and just create a mass spreading. So where you sit, how you sit, what the barriers are, how you move around the office, you know, the bathrooms, these are all things that need to be seriously thought out and, need to, and, and there's some amount of money needs to be spent and redesigned that needs to be done. But this is our future. This is our future because if anyone thinks, and I'm one of those people, I'll, I'm going to stand on this, that th- this pandemic, because the last one was, what, 1918, that we're not going to see one for another 100 years, I take that bet against you that we will. These bugs... Just like our technology and everything has become smarter, the bugs that we face are, and I've, they've talked about super bugs for years. They have become smarter. They've learned how to live in our bodies, how to adapt. They've learned how to take us down, how to infiltrate our bodies and take over our bodies. So we need to be smart. We need to create new work environments that continue, you know, with, with systems that continuously purify the air, with systems that create a certain amount of Ability to be social yet in a safe environment. Bathrooms that don't allow, you know, and I think bathrooms are just a mecca for spreading germs because I think those things are just filthy from the time the first person goes in the morning. You know, you ever, you ever, you ever sit out or stand outside of a bathroom door in your office having a conversation with someone or better yet, you're inside the bathroom. You know, they're pretty large and you sta- you're chatting with someone. And while you're chatting with someone, four or five people come in and you notice three of those people go into the store, come out and never wash their hands. What happened there? Not only did they not wash their hands, but they held the doorknob that you now have to hold. So people like me get paranoid and you get, you know, you get to, you pull a paper tissue and you hold the doorknob with the tissue and you use your foot to keep it open and all these acrobatics you do. And this was before COVID. So mandates or not, it's a debate that's going to go on. The one I think that has already been answered is common sense, preservation of life. Statistics already show we lost over 650,000 people in the United States alone to COVID. That's generations wiped out. I don't need any more convincing because I personally have had it. I'm just, I'm just so unhappy and anxious about being in the work environment again because I have two young kids. I've said this before in the podcast, and I'll say it again. By design of human life, outside of the anomaly, my children should get to grow up and be adults. I should get to grow old. My children should bury me. I should not bury them. 
the unfairness here is that my wife and I are vaccinated and our young children are not. And even when they get a vaccine for them, I've heard about enough cases, especially in the last month, I've heard about several cases of people who were fully vaccinated who got the Delta variant. I also remember hearing a, uh, someone from the CDC, and I can't recall his name, but he said that he's not worried about the Delta variant. He's not worried about two variants after that. He's worried about a variant about three or four iterations after that that would have figured us out, that would have figured out the vaccine, and that nothing we did in the last 18 months will matter. And we will start this cycle again of losing life as we scramble. Why? Because we were uh, uh, presumptuous enough, arrogant enough to step our feet back into this arena, acting like we're invincible without putting any common sense and put, without putting human life first. And so as I look at the time here, it was supposed to be a short episode. I spent about 40 minutes speaking with you. So I'm going I'm to close it out by making my quick appeal again to the President of the United States, to anyone who has access to them, to anyone who has influence with student loans. Every single week, I hear more stories of people almost in tears, wondering when this starts back again, how are they going to live They've lost loved ones to COVID. They've lost breadwinners. They've, you know, people are hurting. And to resume something like that is the, is the worst political move or are among one of the worst political moves. Now, for those who didn't hear the last episode, and I hope you go back and listen to it, I'll say this again. Directly to our, to our lawmakers, directly to our president. Forgive 50% of student loans. Allow the, the borrowers to renegotiate the terms of the, 50, the remaining 50. Or forgive all student loans. In either scenario, you give a tax break to those who already paid off their student loans so they're not left out for the sacrifice they made. Going forward, Make the loans guaranteed, but make the universities hold the note so that they get paid based on the success of the education they gave you, not because you walk out with a degree that's worthless and still have to pay back all these loans. These universities set some, some crazy tuition, prices of tuition that go up every year. Professors making a ton of money, some of them. Not to say they're not worth it, but then you come out of university and, for, and there's so many universities across the United States, people go to them for access, ease of access, um, you know, the ability to have online classes, all different criteria people use to attend a university because we all can't get into the, to the Ivy League, the MITs and the Harvard and the Yale, no. And then you come out with a piece of paper that's worthless. University gets paid, they're laughing to the bank, and now the student is left to suffer, losing their homes, can't live a decent life, can't, 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 you know, lease or buy a car to get to work, can't, you know, afford to, to rent a decent apartment in a decent neighborhood, can't afford to buy enough groceries to eat, eat healthy, can't, you know, nothing that supports, can't afford to take a vacation, none of it. 
because for the next 30 years, they're paying off a student loan for a degree that did not allow them to get a job that where they could make enough, I'm sorry, where they could make enough to pay back their student loan. The universities must be held accountable. If, 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 if their payment and the, and, and the payment they got, which was monthly payments, just like the federal school loans now, but was based on the degree and the student's ability to earn a job. Now, don't get me wrong. If the student doesn't want, if, if, the, if these universities were required to have job placements, um, offices and, 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 and processes as, as a mandatory part of these loans and, and, and they placed someone in a job and then the person quit the job, whatever, that's different. But that's a big deal, making sure that they have relationships with the businesses. So if I go and I do a type of job or a type of degree where, you know, my student loans are half a million dollars, when I come out, you know, you can say to, to, to Microsoft or whomever, this business, look, here is, a, here is this student. He came from my university. Here's qualifications. They are worthy of this salary that you, you're offering and create those relationships so that now I have the ability as long as I have discipline to be a good employee, I can live a decent life. The, the White House has said that January 2022 is the last time they're going to they're gonna pause the student loans. President Biden, you are going to turn this oppression into a worse state of oppression. And if I remember correctly, you, you, Mr. President, you ran on part of your platform was student loans and promises that you have yet to fulfill universally to those who have federal student loan debt. If you really care about people, then use either the plan I, that I mentioned where you give tax breaks or whatever. There's no details there. They have to be worked out. But this way, people are not left feeling, well, I paid my student loans and I got nothing out of it. No, you got a tax break that's going to, in its own design, give you back your know, X amount of or whatever of what you paid. And for those who are suffering, we simply need to understand the plight. The, the, the world has changed. We have a pandemic. We have inequalities in employment and inequalities in the ability to earn and inequalities in the ability to even get a job. We have systemic racism that's disqualifying thousands and hundreds of thousands of, of black and brown people from good paying jobs that would allow them to pay back their student loans because of the color of their skill, their skin, excuse me, and not the content of their, their brains and their character and their ability. It's time for change. It's time for us to realize that we live a life where we actually can only control what we have within our ability to control, realizing that life is not promised, realizing that when we create chaos and, and we create hardship for others, there's a price to pay personally, professionally, and in this world. If any one of the politicians that we elected truly feels that their job is to make not only their, their life or their constituents, but to make this country to make our land a better place and stand up together, irrespective of party. I'm telling you that other than the COVID pandemic, as I, as I 
release these episodes and I get feedback. Student loans is an epidemic. It is crushing the people who could otherwise be part of this society in a productive way and succeed. The American dream should belong to all of us. And we should be able to have an equal chance of it, uh, at it. Void of systemic racism. Void of, of, of student loan debt that is not equal to the piece of paper that you get that, that, you know, that says masters or bachelors on it. There's a lot to be fixed. And if we want to see our lives change and our children's lives change, then the time to start fixing is now. Special thank you to my supporters and listeners for making this podcast a success, for making 247 Real Talk a success, and for allowing me to come into your homes and share my thoughts, whether it's myself or myself with a guest. I thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I want to remind you, you can listen to this episode any episode of 247 Real Talk on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to leave me a message, if you'd like to be a guest in the show, you can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, do take care of yourselves and each other.